0: It's episode 55 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinski, and joining me today are Ryan Top and J.P. Breen, and we are recording on Saturday, and it's late enough that, Ryan, you were able to sleep in and still get up for this podcast today after watching that uh, game (laughs) Friday night.
1: I did, yes.
0: You're you're recalling the game to me. It was very interesting because I said it's the eleventh inning and it's almost midnight, so I gotta call and it. And you're a day. Yeah. you're
1: going to bed, yes. No, I stayed up. So I I made it to the bitter end of that thing. Well, no, it was almost a bitter end, and then it got really sweet.
2: <laughs> it had a sweet finish to it. It had a
1: sweet finish. It was a it was a bitter start and a sweet finish.
2: Well and what and the middle taste is is what again? Yeah. <laughs>
1: What did, was that us last week talking about that with the middle taste? No, I, I have the, no idea.
2: beginning. It was a bitter middle taste, no, was a sweet end. Yeah, there we yeah. go. So,
0: JP, did you make it uh, deep into that game? I, I did not. You're an hour ahead of us since you're in the Eastern time zone. Yes. So that yeah, game I, that game got done at going on four in the morning, I think, for you. <laughs> the newspa-
1: newspapers oh. were already being delivered when it ended.
0: They were working on the next day's paper already. They were-
2: <laughs> uh, i didn't i I didn't quite make it
0: yeah, that was a tough one uh to stay up for, especially
2: oh, oh okay Kane Kane does that. yeah he, he does that
0: yeah he, he does. does that yeah, we're watching like i said, we got the game on right now, so um yeah it was a, it was a late one, but it was a good end, even though I think everybody was kind of you know a little disappointed with how it got to that point
1: i mean it was a it was a typical game of this week that has been. Typical
0: the, game of this month. It feels like
1: yeah, really, basically since right before the All Star break. Even when they win, it feels like it's a lot closer. You had the the game on uh, on Wednesday afternoon was the same way where they won for nothing. So you'd think, oh yeah, relatively stress free. Well, they did have the bases loaded with uh, I think one out in the eighth of that game on Wednesday. Yeah. So like there was plenty of opportunity for that to potentially go the other direction. And then Tuesday is catastrophe of.
0: Yeah. But it is, it is always Tuesday was. Yeah. It is always more stressful though. I think every game seems more stressful once we we're approaching that final month of the season. Everything matters. So, uh, Every base runner just seems like too much to bear at the time. But anyways, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at tailgate, Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. I should beg for some Twitter followers, by the way, because I think our uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate account is going to pass me by here pretty quick. It hasn't already? No, it hasn't. No. But I'm now I'm watching with interest to see if it does.
2: <laughs> so. You got you have to be far more interested in what Court's Twitter account is doing with you rather than whether or not your follower account is going to get higher.
0: Exactly. You know, and that was, Ryan was supposed to lead that charge to get me Keeping unblocked. dry you think it's gonna to go you got a month to go you think one month of harassment is gonna get to tom hardrick <laughs> I, I, I wasn't planning on harassing him actually i think that would probably get me blocked i think he's <laughs> going to see it as harassment i'm waiting for it though i want to see this ryan top uh twitter campaign to get me unblocked from tom hardrick feed. i don't think it's gonna happen and i think most people picked against it in our prop bet so um anyways Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit, uh, patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, and that'll be coming out relatively soon. Yes. Relatively soon. It'll be early in the month of September. Yep. So, uh, yeah, subscribe and, uh, you'll get that and it'll be a good one. So, uh, Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by carbon Four brewing from dragon flute to block party to fantasy factory IPA. K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Out now is Carbon 4's Oktober Ale, their Oktoberfest-style ale, and Night Call Smoked Porter. And we have a new deal exclusively through Milwaukee's Tailgate. Use the promo code MKETAILGATE, all one word, in the Carbon 4 web store and you will receive 20% off your order. So you can get t-shirts and other uh, gear and stuff like that i know they have the the blue and yellow if you want carbon four blue and yellow kind of with the brewer's colors uh and if you're interested in it they have the red and white for the badgers cardinal and white and then green and gold for the packers as well so you can kind of choose
1: your own adventure
0: yeah get a carbon four shirt and kind of get it themed for whatever team you're following so i would imagine everybody here would go with the uh, blue and yellow So, anyways, uh, also Fantasy Factory IPA is now in cans, just in time to grab a six-pack and tailgate while the brewers are making a push for the playoffs. Plus, you're probably going to need a couple extra beers with every game you watch anyways, so... Uh, go out and pick that up Uh, you can find it at the brewery on kinsman boulevard or at your local retailer as always check out carbon4.com for more information carbon4 beer brilliance milwaukee's tailgate is also sponsored in part by sound devices a premier manufacturer manufacturer of audio production gear and they're located right here in wisconsin sound devices gear is used worldwide and it's found on the set of oscar-winning films and popular tv shows And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre-3 and MixPre-6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so we kind of went through it a little bit, but Friday night's uh, win was well, Saturday morning's victory. How should we refer to that? (laughs) Do we still want to talk about it as a Friday night thing or uh, just say, no, all the good stuff happened on Saturday, so we're going to stick with that.
1: Well, I mean, there was the four-run first inning.
0: There was. Which has been a thing, too. Like,
1: the four-run first inning has starting to feel cursed. Because <laughs> they did that well. They did it against the Reds on uh, Tuesday.
0: Well, they hit two rally-killing home runs,
2: so obviously they weren't going to score anymore. <laughs> What are you suggesting? The Brewers actually should probably try to not score in the first couple innings because it seems like they do worse later on. Yes, that's
1: exactly what I'm suggesting. I think that that would be the wise strategy. Well, it is. Save your scoring for later, and then you will win.
0: There is the feeling where, like, you score early, and then everybody's just kind of white-knuckling it for the rest of the game, hoping that they hold on. No, and I'm just saying that's... Again, you get late in the season when they're games that they need to win, and you're like, okay, we gotta get a starter deep enough into the game where the bullpen doesn't get run out there for the you know, burned out for the rest of the series because of a game. Which
1: speaking of which, by the time people listen to this, they'll know how they handled it, but the bullpen is pretty drained at the moment from Well, you go fifteen innings. You go it wasn't just the fifteen innings, though, it was also the fact that, you know, Jeremy Jeffers had been used for five and a third innings over four games over the last six days coming into Saturday. So I can't imagine he's available. I would hope he wouldn't even be available on Sunday, but we'll see. I know but they they don't mind running him out there a lot. Before we get too
0: far into it, I do want to go back. That four runs in the first inning, it again Yelich continues to hit with power. Mm-hmm. And then Mustaki. Well, and
1: then hit into a bunch of double plays, but
0: Sure. Yes, it's gonna happen. But um and then Mustakas. So, you know, again the trade deadline that everybody kind of uh, groused about. I mean, Mustakas has been really good for them so far.
1: He's been solid for them. He hasn't he's been, been he's been solid
0: at the plate, and he's played good defense at third base.
1: Yes, he's, probably, he's played
0: he's played really good defense. He's a better base. defensive third baseman than Travis Shaw. Uh, I yeah,
1: I think that's fair.
2: JP, is that fair? I think it undersells Shaw a little bit. Depends uh, statistically. And I'm not saying Shaw's bad, but
0: Moustakis is rated very well over the years at third base, anyway. Right?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm suggesting that largely if there's statistical evidence, you know, via UZR, FRA, or, or whatever everybody wants to use, defensive run saved, it's probably because Moustakis has a little bit more range than. Shaw does, right? I think Shaw is pretty solid at pretty much anything he can get to. He throws well. We've been able to see his footwork over at second base is a, has been actually pretty good, but it's a lot to do with range, I would say. But yeah, I, I do think that Mustakas has probably been a little bit better than Shaw, but not because Shaw is poor. It's just, you know, he's a little bit bigger.
1: And Mustakas can just make some really, really nice plays. And you have seen him. He make... had
2: one of those stabs on Friday night.
1: Yes. Yeah. And he can, he's one of these guys that does a very good job of getting from fielding the ball to throwing the ball in a quick, smooth motion. And that's so key when you're throwing across the diamond and you have to, you know, get that time. Uh, Obviously when you see it with Arcee, that it really stands out with him, but he's a shortstop, you know, so that's kind of part of the job description. It's a little rarer at third. And yeah, Moose came up as a shortstop. He was a shortstop in high school and then was moved over as a probe
0: yeah so um and you mentioned orlando arcia and though he's not hitting for a ton of power he's obviously kind of hitting since he got called back up and he's been playing with some regularity so that's good to see because we've seen defensively why he's so valuable to have out there
1: he yeah since i don't have the the actual current numbers but since coming back up last i looked he was in the mid to high sixes for ops and that's probably gone up a little bit after i think he had a couple hits last night on friday night i'm sorry so i think you're looking at you know an improvement there and the main thing with arcia is he needs to just hit well enough so that his defense can play so that they can get him in the field on a fairly regular basis and take advantage of the spectacular defense
0: yeah jp what's the bar that arcia has to clear offensively to just say okay now we can justify running him out here because his glove is that good
2: like statistically where does he have to be yeah um uh, I'd probably above uh, 650 OPS. Would I mean that's kind of arbitrary but sure. That's pro- what I would say. Um but I pulled up the numbers when, as far when most as Arcea has
0: done. Yeah, when most people see 650 there and thinking that's a a good hitter by any means.
2: Right. And I pulled up uh what Arcia has done since he's been uh called back up and he's hit 273 with a 304 on base percentage. Uh, slugging percentage is still pretty poor. It's a 364, but his OPS is uh, 668, which is fueled must be said with a 405 batting average on balls in play. So probably not necessarily the most sustainable thing that's ever been done. And he's still not being able to pull the ball for very really ever, but it's nice to be able to see him. I think at least get a little bit more confidence at the plate, which I think is something that he was sorely lacking after. He had scuffled for the better part of what, two three months, really all year.
0: It was you yeah. know they had a, uh, I forget if it's the Brewers or Mike Fasalo or somebody like that put out like the stats of Ar- Arcia's game winning hits this year. Oh yeah, and it mm-hmm. was like March twenty ninth, April fourth, and like April twenty seventh or something like that. Right, and then it was the the Friday night game, so it it was funny to see that where like. Early he wasn't hitting well, but he seemed to be hitting. He he got some timely hits, and right. then which
1: will always help
0: the impression. Sure. Yeah. yeah, you always feel like, well, he's coming through at least when they need it. Where, uh, yeah, after that fact, it, there was just nothing to really hang your head on. So it is good to see yeah. at least something. I would
2: say I actually went back to go look. Um, there were only eight eight day eight, eight eight or nine days in. Uh, in April in which his batting average was over 200. So yeah, he's been struggling all all year to say the least. So um, we did see some
0: struggles on the mound uh, early in the weekend. Well, kind of throughout the week with, with Hader and Jeffress, they seem to be giving up uh, a run or two per appearance.
1: Yeah. I mean, they were the reasons that they got through those close games last Sunday and Monday. Yeah. So they were instrumental in, in bringing home, I think in both cases, one run wins um jeffress did come in and have a very important uh shutdown in the eighth with the bases loaded on wednesday to get them out of that and then pitched a clean ninth and then did struggle on friday night he really looked the stuff didn't seem to be as sharp and the command especially really seemed to be off for him that was what stood out and you look at what he did in that inning and he put up It took him 31 pitches to get through that inning. Josh Hader got through two innings and also allowing a run. But he got through two innings, the sixth and seventh in that game, uh, with 27 pitches. So you'd really see how hard he was being forced to work. And the Pirates were grinding out at bats against him, which is what they were doing, you know— Somewhat consistently throughout the game, though, Corbin Burns also came and shut them down on Friday night. That was really nice to see. He only threw 40 pitches to get 40 pitches, 28 strikes uh, to get through three full innings. And that was instrumental in keeping the Brewers in that game and allowing them to, you know, eventually win it late. So we I I put out a thing on, on Twitter about I really am looking forward to seeing Corbin Burns start. That is, you know, in the major leagues. I think where this has to go, doesn't it JP? And I don't mean this year. I mean, eventually that they need to give him that shot.
2: Yeah, I didn't really, I guess I wasn't sure that was under discussion. I mean, and and I, and I certainly didn't need to see you put it on Twitter to know that you were excited about seeing him (laughs) pitches in the majors as a starter. I
0: would say Ryan tweeted about it. So clearly it's a discussion point that everyone's uh, curious about. finger on the pulse. Ryan top. Well, I mean, is there any chance that Canable or Canable—I'm already jumping ahead—that uh, burn starts this year? Because I mean, the Brewers did try to make a, a play for a starter this past week. We had a little. Ostensibly. We 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 avoided a VD outbreak in Milwaukee by <laughs> not not completing a deal with the Reds for Matt Harvey. Harvey, even though the uh, the Brewers did claim him on waivers, and it came down to the wire. Okay, no. I mean, it sounded like what happened with that was the owner killed it.
1: That the Reds owner killed getting rid of him and sending him to the Brewers. That was what uh, was reported by, was it Heyman, Nightingale? One of them.
0: So Yeah, it was reported and then somebody's like, oh, they probably want to sign him as a free agent. When it's like, well, you could trade him and still sign him again as a free agent.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Harvey has been, he made a good first impression with them. Obviously, he comes with a big name. And has not pitched anything like that big name in a long time now, but came in with a big name, made a good first impression, has struggled off and on, you know, not being incredibly better than what he was with the Mets, but at least somewhat better. Uh, but still just a, you know, mid to back rotation starter at best. And apparently the Reds want to hold the, on to that. want
0: to keep that. Uh, JP, was there any upside to getting Matt Harvey and adding, adding him to the rotation?
2: I, I don't necessarily know where he was going to fit. Um, I know that- I don't know if the, maybe they were looking at him as a reliever. I I can't imagine that that's the case. But in terms of the the starting five that they have right now, with and they've got Zach Davies still working his way back. I, I'm not necessarily sure where Matt Harvey was going to fit into into you know the rotation, especially with September right around the corner.
0: Yeah, and I know Ryan and I were talking earlier in the week about how like you know, you got to bump Freddie Peralta and Matt Harvey can have blow up starts like Freddie Peralta. And I don't know if Matt Harvey can be as dominant as
2: Freddie Peralta can be when he's on. Well, and so my thing on Matt Harvey, statistically, it's not all that difficult to understand why he's not, you know, an ace why he's not going to be a huge impact starter. But I think a lot of people who make that argument in which he is a nice piece to be able to add is he only has a couple of blow up starts. We can put that aside, but velocity is up uh, significantly since joining the reds and his walk rates decent since joining the reds. Right. And so I think a lot of people are looking at a velocity bump. They're looking at the fact that uh, he's been able to string some starts together and that his, his walk rate looks pretty good uh, and that he is out of uh, the Mets cauldron of whatever they do to pitchers suck a team. Um Yeah. Um, but the thing is, even though his velocity is up, he's still not missing any bats. I mean, it's his swinging strikes percentage is right. Re- at I think like 8.2% or right about 8%. He's still not getting guys to swing outside the zone. It's below average in terms of getting guys to chase. Um, So if you're not missing many bats and you can't get guys to swing outside the zone, you're putting a lot of pressure on balls in play. His strikeout rate prior to, um, I think it was yesterday's start against the Cubs. So that'd be Friday's start against the Cubs. Um, His strikeout rate was about 6.8 per nine. And there's just not necessarily a lot to look at where you're saying, I see where the, the, the improvement is, right? Because if you look at the ERA, not anything better than what the brewers already have. There's not really an upgrade there. So if you're going to make the argument that Harvey is somebody that they need to be able to add, you need to be able to make the argument for my, you know, like in my head, there has to be an argument that his ERA is hiding some actual improvement but looking at the numbers and looking at his stuff it's really to me just velocity is the only thing that jumped
1: and the velocity i was looking at it start by start on brooks baseball and it was very low when he was with the mets he was sitting down around 92 as an average fastball velocity and it spiked but it peaked out in about june in the 94 95 ish range it's down now a full mile an hour from where it peaked out in june so he's already, he's not which anywhere Which is still near. a
2: couple, which is still what? Two two miles an hour higher than what he was doing with the Mets?
1: Yep. It's yeah. it's still higher than where he was with the Mets, but it's not, it wasn't like he was building and sustaining that major push that he had put on after April, after going to the Reds initially.
0: Well, and the idea but, that anybody's going to be able to acquire Matt Harvey and get, you know, the, the Dark Knight from Gotham City era. Matt Harvey you right that doesn't exist anymore no
1: that guy is probably gone forever yeah and people need to and I was gonna say in some
2: in in some ways I understand why he's a pitcher that the Brewers would would potentially like because he's somebody that especially since the velocity has ticked up a little bit a, a good fastball and likes to pitch up in the zone with that fastball that's something that the Brewers have increasingly liked Um But again, you still have to be able to miss bats. And that's, that's a pretty big thing that, that Harvey still hasn't been able to do. And then there are the myriad of off field issues that might not be something that one would want to uh, bring into the clubhouse, especially trying to make a, a push, Um, you know, I, uh, and we can take that for what it's worth in terms of, of rumors and not trying to, to put anything on anyone in particular, but it's, it's, to me, it's not something that made a whole lot of sense. Um, but in terms of stuff wise, I can understand why he's a he's a pitcher that the Brewers might like.
1: Well, I'm looking at it from a perspective of what you guys talked about last week, JP, you were mentioning this. They probably had because they've been connected to him multiple times throughout this process. They were connected to him back in before the the trade deadline itself, and now through this, they must. There, there's, there seems to be a pretty high probability they're seeing something specific that they want to tweak, that they think that they can get that extra little bit out of. Doesn't it seem likely that they have a thing where they're, they're looking at them going, you know, if we do this one thing, we can maybe unlock an extra level in here?
2: Yeah, it could be. I, there's still a question of whether or not um, those kind of tweaks would be uh, welcome suggestions. Yep. Um, and I don't necessarily know what the, the tweaks are because a lot of the time with pitchers, what we've been hearing is about working higher in the zone with the fastball has been a big thing that the Brewers have wanted to do with a lot of guys. We've heard that with Chase Anderson. We've heard it with Shahseen. We've heard it with... Uh, and even some of the guys that they were rumored to be after in the winter, they were all guys that have big fastballs and like to work up in the zone. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they want to do going forward, but I would assume... As you said, they've been attached to Matt Matt Harvey a lot. We might hear his name again in the winter. Right. So uh,
0: enough on a pitcher that the Brewers didn't (laughs) get. Uh, We'll move on to a pitcher that the Brewers didn't want to see on the Major League roster anymore as they sent Corey Knable down to AAA. Bit of a surprise? I mean, a little bit in that.
1: He, you don't expect a guy to fall as far as he has, though we've seen it before. I mean, this What do you is mean not, you don't
0: expect it? He's a I know relief you, pitcher. I
1: know you expect it from all relief pitchers at there, all times. Yeah.
0: You know, there are a few that have long careers and are very good, but most of them, hey, you kind of uh, catch lightning in a bottle for a little bit.
1: But he had struggled so much for so long that it, it wasn't, I mean, it was surprising, but it wasn't shocking because that's what happens when guys struggle as much as, as he has. And they needed to get—you had two guys coming off the disabled list in Matt Albers, who had pitched very well in his rehab outings, and uh, uh Joachim Soria. So you had two guys coming off. Somebody had to go out. They, there are only so many moves that you can make, only so many different ways to shuffle this around until you get to September and you get the expanded roster. So you just—it it was sort of his time because he had been so
0: ineffective. Yeah, J.P.— Do you think he's going to be able to get it back together uh, down in Colorado Springs when his main issue is he's not able to locate his curveball? And Colorado Springs isn't exactly the best place to work on uh, throwing your off-speed pitches.
1: They sent him down. They're having him throw bullpen sessions with uh, the Major League staff. So he's off the Major League roster. He has not officially, as far as I know yet, even joined Colorado Springs.
2: I was going to say, this is something that they're just looking to get him Soria back in in the bullpen because they're like, we need Corey Canable to work on some things. And Soria is an arm that they wanted to be able to bring in. They know that Kniebel is basically going to just be out for, what, a week? And then he's going to be back up with September call-ups. So I think it's just a, a situation in which they're like, we're going to make this roster transaction. We're going to get you to work with some some of the guys on the side. Uh, and we're going to try to get you right because in September, again, he still should be a, an arm that they really can rely on and, you know, in big time situations. I don't think that Canable's not not finished. Um, You know, maybe he can't ever find it again, but I don't think that there are any reasons that Brewer should, you know, expect him to never come up again and be able to pitch and, you know, and have I don't know if it's long seasons or just stretches in which he's dominant again, because he's got some of the biggest stuff that we have in the, in the bullpen. I don't know. Watching him. Did you think like he had completely lost it or was he
0: just, just didn't quite have the feel for it? I mean, I guess what was your impression of like how off he was as a pitcher?
2: I, well, this is something that I brought up a couple, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks ago. I think right now, um, his stability throughout his pitching motion throughout his windup is not great. He, he, his balance isn't good. Um, and his command is, is suffering because of it. Right. And there's a lot of questions as far as how much is he trusting his lower half? How much is he compensating? How much, you know, is it just a mental thing where he potentially just needs an off season? Well, it's Um, a couple things though,
0: isn't it? Because he had the, the hamstring in yeah. Hamstring injury early, and yeah. then he's also o- had kind of an odd motion to begin with that never looked like he had the greatest balance.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's high octane, and it is not something in which he is worried about all that much uh, than arm speed, right? I mean, he he is going to come up there and just chuck it as hard as he can. Uh, And he is going to trust the fact that you cannot touch what he is going to be putting up in the zone because he's not like we talk a lot about uh, pitching up in the zone. We talk about being able to control the inside part of the plate, the outside part of the plate, being able to work your quadrants. Uh, That was something big with Zach Davies. We talked about it in the past in the old podcast with with Marco Estrada. Uh, Sean Markham was kind of that that way as well. But. Uh, Corey Knable's not really concerned with what part of the quadrant he's throwing his fastball. <laughs> he is going to throw it as hard as he can and he is going to hope that it's in the zone. Um, and he is going to trust the fact that he can throw enough in the zone to be able to work. Uh, but again, he likes to work higher. And when he can't throw his curveball for strikes and he has to come in with the fastball in general, it's going to be up in the zone. And if guys can sit on it, that's why we've seen, you know, in my estimation, that's why we've seen so many homers. Um, but and if you I look at his, fan I don't graph, think he is a person that you should expect him to have great command.
1: Yeah. If you look at his fan heat maps, we talked about this before too. He's been a little bit more in the middle of the zone this year than in the past. It's not dramatic, but there is a tendency to be more in the middle of the zone for him this year too. So yeah, that can't be helping anything either.
0: Yeah, so, uh, okay, moving on, uh, we have a Patreon question from Chad Ferris. Uh, he says, does Shasin need to pitch a complete game on Saturday? Again, we're recording while the game is on right now. So, But after that 15 innings they played on Friday night into Saturday morning, I mean, Shasin seems like a guy like, I don't know, you can leave him out there for a while if you really have to.
1: I mean, ideally he can get through six or seven innings and – they have a lead and they can hand it over. It's not heading that way so far. It's nothing, nothing headed to the bottom of the third at this point. So it, the Brewers have not gotten that big league yet. And probably, I mean, Jameson tie has been good again. So they're, you know, I think scratching. you mean Jamo, Jamo,
2: <laughs> you mean Jamo
1: scratching runs off of him is going to be a challenge. So we're but probably in for your, another close game.
2: They're following your playbook, right? Don't score early. If you're going to score, make sure you score late. Be yes. able to get in a good situation in which... Uh, and and you certainly don't want to get in a position in which, you know, I was going to say, well, they, you're only a run down because I don't think Hater's available. I was going to say, if they, aren't leading,
0: <laughs> if they aren't leading, then they aren't tempted to use Josh Hader or Jeremy Jeffress. So I guess that's how they manage their availability, right? I mean, I can't imagine
1: for this Saturday game, I can't imagine Burns who went three, uh, Lyles who went two, Hader, who went two, or Jeffers, who'd been used all that much. I can't imagine any of those guys is really available for Saturday. I'd be
0: surprised. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that – they'll just let Shasin keep chucking it and see how it goes. It's going to turn into a football score in the last couple of innings.
1: I mean – as long as we win, I don't care. I
2: would say if you get in a, if you get in a position in which you need to bring somebody in at the end, but you don't necessarily have the bench pieces to be able to put in a double switch. Bring in Jordan Lyles and let him hit. My boy can draw a walk. <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> when when the pitcher can't find the zone with two hands and a flashlight, yeah. <laughs> there was I legitimately I don't often feel bad for like I. Do you remember there was a, a third string catcher on the Nationals back when the Nationals were really horrible that they put in, and he was so incompetent that it was laughable, and they had to pull the guy and like put in a like a player who like wasn't they brought a catcher him, at they all. They
0: brought in a third catcher as a pitcher.
1: No, they brought in a third catcher who. Catch, oh, he was and catching. He was so he was that bad. bad. Okay. it was it was embarrassing. That's how I felt for the guy on the mound for the for the Pirates last night, where it was just he could not. Even a, when he threw a strike to Braun, it was completely by
0: accident. I don't think I could look up at the clock at, you know, quarter to three in the morning and feel bad for the pitcher who plays for the opposing team <laughs> but, who can't find but the strike zone. I felt bad oh, for yeah, him. it. was, was But this was that was that was the guy
2: who uh, who threw a brilliant start against the, the Brewers earlier this season. Right? Oh, was it in which? Yeah. I mean, it's. Oh and a lot of people looked at him and said how is this guy beating us but for throughout his entire minor league career he's never been able to throw strikes huge stuff never been able to throw strikes and and that one start against the brewers i believe it was in june could have been july Um, could have been that horrible five game series in July. We're not speaking of that anymore. (laughs) Oh, that's exactly what it was. (laughs) We're not. We don't talk about that. There was just this day that magically he was able to start throwing strikes and he was unhittable because he throws 95, 97 miles an hour with sink and has a good off speed. Like, and if he's throwing strikes, he's great. But we saw the other side of that on, on Friday night or early Saturday morning in which he just showed that propensity that has kept that had kept him in triple a for a long period of time yeah so
0: uh patreon question from pb brew crew he wants to know how do you want to see the back end of the rotation managed in september i think what i want to see out of the entire
1: rotation in september is short leashes because they're going to have the depth to call on with bringing up uh, i mean right now who all's in triple a we have at least woodruff hauser
0: well, that's another question we got. Barnes. Davies. Davies.
1: I mean, they have so many different guys that they're going to be able to call and who are legitimate big league pitchers that they should be able to really run a a matchup sort of situation. It's Those games are going to turn into slogs. we talked about this, but the games are going to turn into slogs. And they have so many off days, too, That's just going to add to the flexibility Craig Council is going to have to just go. He's going to go through games where he uses six or seven pitchers.
0: Do you think Craig Council is going to be a brilliant bullpen manager again in September? Depends on if it works. It depends
1: depends on if the guys are getting out. That's the whole thing.
0: Yeah, he was brilliant in April and May, and then it was a slow slide back to now he's completely incompetent through August. Hey, Yelich just made it happen. Oh, you are way gonna, ahead
2: of us. I was gonna say, am I am I somehow in the future in Indiana?
1: There's there's um, the ding dong. No, Indiana is way behind every other state in the union. <laughs> I don't know. We're trying our best. So yeah, that's true. Um, but yes, he hit one right over by the bullpen. Hey, Brewers have a lead, one nothing.
2: Christian Yelich. Is, is it too early? He is. Um, it's the third. He is, this is. So, I'll allow it. I'll, I'll allow so it. So I, I have a question about like what we see because. When you read right and you so PB Brew Crew is like the back end of the rotation. I don't even know what the back end of the rotation is. That's (laughs) the entire rotation. It's the back end. It's the rotation's a circle, man. Well, it's it's like because we talked a lot about you know I I think this used to be uh, like a thought exercise back when you know we were on the Sports Bubbler um, and it was like, do you shout out to Dan Walsh? Yeah, all (laughs) right, shouts um, to Dan like do do you need to have like a number 1 starter you know and a number 2 all the way down to a number 5 in terms of the in terms of like kind of the platonic ideal of all of those starters not to throw out um and is that functionally the same as if you have five like number 3 starters And over the course of 162 games, that's kind of what it feels like to me for the Brewers right now. Like they just have five starters that are all just kind of the same.
1: Over the course of 162, I think that it works. I think for the postseason, you start to want to have those really good performances up top. Certainly, certainly, but I guess I'm just thinking about mitigated if you have a deep bullpen. Yeah, which certain. the Brewers at one point did and then didn't very quickly. Well, I mean,
0: <laughs> if you start getting some off days for Hader Jeffress, uh, you know Elbers can kind of figure out what he was doing earlier, and you get Soria, you know, mm-hmm. you got him back from the DL. Well, I mean, I mean that bullpen looks
1: like he could be a real weapon too.
0: Yeah, so I mean that bullpen can get deep when you hit the playoffs as well. So it'll be interesting to watch what happens there. Um, oh, I mean, by well, the way, so if we're
1: talking about like a potential wild card game or a game one sixty three, if that happens, okay. If we're looking at that kind of situation, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a situation where they you would probably like to get Chasine the way things have been going to be your, your starter for that game. But if Shasine shows any cracks, if he's not getting it done, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them yank him in the second inning, you know, try to go burns, hater, you know, play some matchups in there with people like Jennings and Albers, to get through a game like that, that wouldn't surprise me one bit.
0: In a one-game playoff, yeah, you can basically go to two innings from a starter.
1: Right. If they're not, do, I mean, if if Chassine is pitching the way he's been, then sure. you could potentially get you know four, or five, six innings, and then be able okay. To right. So, but, anyway. his, but his
2: point is basically like you would do two innings, and then as soon as if there's any, any trouble. Kind of trouble, he's gone. Right. Like, yeah, you could potentially get more, but or. It's,
1: even if like say in the second inning you loaded the bases and there's a one out and you got the pitcher up you could say hey look we're just gonna attack this and try to score here because we know we have guys on
0: the bench you can hit so well that would be interesting to see but let's uh make the playoffs first so anyways with yelich's uh power binge right now first off he's he's gonna probably probably beat uh lewis brinson for, in our prop yeah, bet. i as
2: could say prop bets taken care of for
0: yeah that. i think that one's well, Branson isn't even playing,
2: right? Well, that's exactly. Why. Yeah.
0: Okay. Here's here's my other question: Is Yelich uh, a dark horse now to win uh, the the home run prop bet? Is he the guy who could lead the team in home runs? You think? Because he's that, been on a power binge. He's got twenty three at the moment. That's he's got twenty three. He's got twenty three. Hmm.
1: That would be. A, I mean, we were just looking at this jesus aguilar and i was surprised to see was hitting as well as he is in august coming into friday's game what was it it was like 290 410 530 ish
0: something like that yeah
1: and he had four home runs in august like i i had bought into this idea that aguilar had been in a cold streak and no his august has been very good his
0: july was wretched
1: his july was terrible and that was before and after the break for people that want to get into that
2: if christian yeah so like yeah, we've certainly got the prop bets to keep in to keep in mind, right? Like that's the most I, important thing
0: we're <laughs> discussing here. It certainly is.
2: But is there a chance if if Chris Mialich continues this power binge throughout September, is there a shot he wins the NL MVP? I I feel like him and Kane. I mean, he's top. He's top seven right now in in terms of wins above replacement in the NL.
1: He is, but he's not even the leader on his own team with Kane in front of no, him. No, well, but that's but if why I'm talking this, about like
2: if he continues his right. power binge, you would you would expect him to start vaulting. I, maybe I I could see them
0: stealing some votes from each other too. Who are the other contenders? In the Javi NL? Baez.
2: Yeah, Baez was early. Baez is faded. Baez. Eh. I mean, Matt Carpenter. Uh, I'm just looking at who, in terms of wins above replacement, are way up there. Nolan Arenado, Carpenter's Freddie Freeman, got, Paul Goldschmidt. Carpenter's Paul Goldschmidt, really got the who pitched, the narrative. Really, who pitched really poor or who pitched he played did pitch really poorly yeah. for like a month and a half. And oh everyone God, it was, was like, "Is Paul Goldschmidt done?" And it turns out, you know, if you're a good hitter, eventually things even out. Um,
1: Don't tell that to John. But you know, Scott. or actually, do you you tell that to I Jonathan Scope
2: do you want to know what I, I was going to point out? And this is kind of neither here nor there is uh Manny Machado has been kind of pedestrian over the last, over the last month and a half. I mean, LA
1: he's going from a Homer,
2: right? But I'm more suggesting not necessarily saying, Oh, this is exactly what he would have been like in Milwaukee and it's not that great, but more just about talking about rentals and just, uh, you mean when
1: you rent a player, they don't player. automatically always go CC Sabathia in two thousand and eight? This
2: is heresy. I'm, yes, um, especially when they're a hitter. Um, <laughs> but there is so much variability in terms of of kind of month to month uh, performance, right? Like, and and I just was thinking about that just because of Goldschmidt, right? He he was pretty bad. He was terrible. In April. Yeah, he was awful, and and right. There were like a lot of fantasy articles that were saying do I do I cut bait like is this and everyone's like no, um, <laughs> but should I cut the player? I took second <laughs> with right. second pick Um, but like no, it, it, it's also one of those things too that we saw Machado first half of 2017 was also just solid. I mean he was average and so it's about you know, kind of keeping those things in mind, especially, you know, because I was thinking about Jonathan Scope, like you were saying as well. It's difficult to be able to say that just because he's done this for a month, this is the way that he's going to be going forward. There are a lot of things that are that go into play there. Um, But if I think if Christian Yelich comes in, I, if he hits. I don't know, seven, eight home runs in in September and the Brewers make the playoffs. He could he could have the narrative on his side. I think I was going to say, depending on what happens for guys like Arenado, or if like because if Matt Carpenter continues on his absolute torrid stretch, it's him. And the Cardinals also make it. I, there's a good chance that he gets. Well,
0: and he has he has well. a pretty good narrative going. Where oh,
1: don't even don't say it. Do not say it. I don't yeah. want to hear about I, it. No, yeah, I don't even no, know what you're talking no. about. No. The, the
0: narrative of firing Mike Matheny. I mean, there is something about firing Mike Matheny that yes, okay. you know you enjoyed that a little That's bit. That's acceptable. You no, en- I
1: thought you were going to say something else about him, and I just don't even want to hear about it.
0: The narrative of Mike Matheny. There was another one? No. Yeah, we the- don't know what you're talking about at this point, so you should Seriously? Just
1: say- the salsa crap.
0: Oh. The I salsa? Really-
1: I mean, that I has been the most nauseating. Does inferior. Mike Matheny
0: not like cilantro? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I think salsa's a little too ethnic for Mike Matheny. <laughs>
2: It's all, I would like to. I would spicy. like to distance myself from that comment.
0: Anything beyond a raw tomato is too spicy for him.
2: <laughs> I mean,
1: tomatoes are the devil's fruits, so he probably doesn't like those much either. I don't Do you have, you know. That? you ever that? Heard that? A, yeah, that was a thing. the The Pope uh, outlawed them. Which Pope?
2: I mean, in the there like 1500s. Turns out there were a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah the 1500s, there were a couple.
1: I think it was one of the ones who was actually uh, allowed, or well, not allowed to, but did you know? Probably one of the
0: procreate and- probably one of the Benedict's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we are totally off the rails here,
0: um, because Mike Matheny hates tomatoes because of the Pope in the 1500s. Yeah, <laughs> that might go be going off the rails a little bit. So, uh, bringing it back, um, let's see. Uh, last episode, you guys said you can't remember a time when the Brewers had so many live arms in the system. Specifically, which pitchers are the, are you most excited about? And that's from at burk's 8 So when I say in the system, most of them have graduated
1: now. In fact, uh, this week, Corbin Burns graduated. So he's off that list now. Um, I'm talking about young, cost-controlled arms. So headlining the list would be Burns, Peralta, um, Woodruff, Adrian Hauser, guys like that. But... Burns is the headliner for me.
0: Okay. So you're talking, you're not just saying like only, you know, minor league lists. in LHB the minor leagues.
1: Guys. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about some minor league guys that we think, you know, also have a shot, but that's sort of a, that list has thinned significantly. Now they're down to one player who has been in the top 100 list this year in Keston hero, though. I think Corey Ray will pop back in, in off season top 100 lists. So
2: JP, do you have some live arms that you're excited about? Uh, Well, yes, but I would say that I think the vast majority of systems probably have more live arms than probably many times in their, their organizational history, just because there are more live arms in general. Um, I'm thinking of live arms in terms of high velocity, big strikeout, not necessarily like taking live arms to mean, you know, the best pitching prospects. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at Marcos Diplon, he's somebody that has huge swing and miss stuff. Um, he's somebody that has kind of been waffling whether or not he looks like he's going to be a starter or looks like he's going to be a reliever. Uh, Trey supak that's somebody else to keep in mind when you're looking at those sorts of, of lists. Um, and they've got some, some high velocity guys out of, out of the bullpen as well. Um, Josh Ewan is somebody, I believe to, Josh Ewan, I think went to, uh, UW Milwaukee. Um, he throws upper nineties. He's had a pretty nice year. Um, and they've got a lot of, uh, bullpen arms coming up through the system as well that have pretty big fastballs. So yeah, there are a lot of guys like Caden lemons. He's one of like, he is kind of the quintessential live arm, big gangly, guy who needs to grow into his his uh his frame a little bit but they're looking at the fact that he throws upper 90s right now and probably has some projectability so he's a guy who could really uh light up the gun um, and he he's a very much a long-term
1: prospect project like we're not expecting Absolutely. to see anything from him for years like if that all works out you potentially could have a front of the rotation starter but it's so far off in the distance um guys who've come in and have been interesting i'm interested in aaron ashby because that curveball seems like it's potentially a just a monster pitch like the kind of pitch that will be rated you know the best pitch pet you know in the system
2: are you have you seen video of it
1: i was able to catch a little bit of video do you want me to send it to you no i have i was just wondering if you have no i've i've seen a little bit of it i'm more going on the
0: scouting reports like, you personally have it in your possession?
1: I saw him pitch a game on whatever did, it is.
0: Did the you game. record it? No, I did not. Oh, okay.
1: I, I was not I did not take out my scout hat. Well, I don't know the way you say you're gonna you were gonna, send, you were gonna send it
0: to to uh, JP.
1: I could find scouting or I could find video of it. Okay. That's fine.
2: Right, but well, if I wanted to, I could also. Find
0: yes, it. you could. <laughs>
2: yes. Anyway, point being, the, he has. That's a why I assumed
0: he must like have it in his. <laughs> <possession>. <laughs> right, I know. I was like I was, they, like, I was the, like,
2: well, crap. If people send a new video, Ryan
0: I has a large collection of uh, bootleg <laughs> prospect videos. <laughs> he's oh, got all dat. these. Oh, <laughs> he's got all these VHS tapes that he uh, collects uh, prospect videos on. Anyway, point being
1: Aaron Ashby really good curveball. So like when you're talking about having some special stuff that usually people when they talk about stuff are talking purely velocity, but a good curveball is also very good.
0: Yes, it is. Um okay, moving on. Nathan K asks, uh should we have foreseen the bullpen issues? And my short answer is yes. <laughs> Cuz there's always an issue with the bullpen at some point, but uh well,
1: you mean because bullpens aren't perfect, and that's all anybody ever expects out of them is to just never give up runs.
0: At some point, they're going to try to rip your heart out because that's what bullpens do. It's it's their goal in life because they're they're all
2: evil. But JP, I, I know feel like you like you've been spurned in a previous life that you just like. Oh you know, man, you'll never love again.
1: I've been hearing this from him for fifteen twenty years. I like, set
0: my Derek Turnbo uh, bobbleheads hair on fire. I'm so angry at <laughs>
2: the way that that ended. Um uh but no, I think for myself, in some ways, right, any kind of volatility in the bullpen exactly like you're talking about is, is expected. Uh but I the kind of bullpen issues that the brewers have seen, I don't think necessarily we should have foreseen because a lot of it has actually been injury related. Right? I mean you've seen Soria, you've seen uh Albers go on the DL uh He's gone on the DL multiple times, Mm -hmm. um, kind of with either shoulder issues, kind of hamstring issues, kind of depending on what the situation is. Um, I think hamstring issues is that I might be making that up. I can't remember with him. I'm
1: not sure what Um, they called that second one. That one seemed more like a he's not right. Something is wrong here. We're putting (laughs) him on the DL and like. And yeah, but the pitcher... you still have
2: to have a medical reason. Like, you can't just make it up. No, right? you can't
1: make it up out of nothing. But any pitcher is going to have, like, oh, yeah, my shoulder's sore. He, he has a serious right, case of
0: home runitis, so we need to go send him down. Well, that's really range.
2: what
1: it was at that point. It, it, I mean,
2: yeah. Well, but they were, but they were essentially saying, like, what, like, what's up with this fastball? Like, if velocity's down. Yeah, how, like, what, what do you say were, if like, a guy,
0: you think he has, like, a dead arm? You just say, oh, he's got a dead arm. I mean,
2: you can you can say dead arm. Like that's that's an actual like baseball term that people would say, Oh, yep, that's a thing. Um but it like sorry imagine is it the, the
1: doctor d- who would sign off on dead arm. I think it might be the president's personal <laughs> <You're> like, physician. <laughs> you like,
0: like hold it up and the arm <laughs> falls down. He's like, Yep, <laughs> yep, that's dead. <laughs> Call it. Call <laughs> <laughs> it. Hold it up five seconds, let
1: it drop <laughs> if it doesn't stay up. It, it's gone.
2: <laughs> but he I had think a good he, run. I think those kinds of bullpen issues have been, you know, they haven't been the Dan Jennings of the world. Haven't been the ones going on the DL. It's been guys like Soria. It's been guys like Albers. Guys that they've actually wanted to pitch at, at late inning situations. So in terms of that, well, and also I think that's been a little bit unforeseen. I think Taylor
1: Williams and, and Corbin Burns have had their struggles lately, especially just giving up some
2: hits. Yeah, but the, like the those are just kind of normal bullpen things that you're going to see from time to time, right? Sure. Yeah, and
0: plus you weren't as, as going the to the rookies, I think, saying, hey, these guys are going to hit a rough stretch at some point. Right. It's not, yeah. Not where they not have the to ordinary. kind of learn,
1: especially Williams has Williams seems to get into a space where when there's runners on, he has trouble dealing with it in terms of keeping his command and staying in the zone and trusting his stuff. Because he seems to compound his issues then by falling behind hitters and then Either he's forced to bring one in and guys can tee off on it or he ends up walking a guy and then further deepening his his issues. And we've seen that a few times from him now. So over his last few appearances anyway.
0: Yeah. So uh, we got a question from Jerry Eldred. He asks on a scale of one to thirty seven. How weird has the use of Brandon Woodruff been this year? Get a number Breen.
2: Scale of one to thirty seven. I think it's a solid twenty-four.
1: You think that's twenty four? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, I was making up a number. I'm gonna, go with, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with twenty nine point three 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 repeating.
2: You know also known as twenty nine and a third. Yeah. Well it
0: sounds better. If I you know, sometimes <laughs> looking at Woodruff's usage in a vacuum, it seems odd. I think the Freddie Peralta thing is what has complicated it so much, though.
2: Right. I mean, kind of, but, I mean, Brandon Woodruff has never been a guy they wanted to actually put in the rotation, but or at, even in the bullpen.
0: Yeah, but after Peralta got called up, I mean, who have they really rotated through the rotation? It's been pretty solid, They were right? Hap-
2: they were happy to let Corbin Burns transition to the bullpen to get him to the big leagues.
0: Yeah. No, no, no. But I'm saying like they haven't had rotation spots open up since Peralta got called up. Sure.
2: But that's what I'm saying. Like they don't necessarily if they were looking for another impact bullpen arm, uh, Corbin Burns was the guy they went with. It was not Brandon Woodruff. Right. So at some point you do have to wonder, do they actually foresee Brandon Woodruff to be a big league pitcher?
1: In fairness to them and to him, he did say that he had some trouble adjusting to pitching out of the bullpen.
2: Right, but uh, one would also imagine that, like, doing it more would help.
1: Right, and when he's gone down, I think he has almost exclusively pitched. I'm going to pop it up right now. Yeah,
2: he's almost always pitched as a starter. So they
1: weren't, like, working him in the way they did with Burns in the minor leagues to see. Because I would imagine they always wanted to keep Woodruff around in case they needed him to start. Because he's generally been their sixth or seventh starter throughout this season. They just haven't generally needed to go to him because they've had yeah, other guys. But, I mean,
2: guys Brent come Suter off and on the, for the DL. Yeah. Brent Suter was that guy for a bit. They've called on uh, Aaron Wilkerson. They've called on Wade Miley. They've, and you know, for a while we were looking at Zach Davies as being a potential guy that they were going to look at as well.
1: Yeah. And I, yes, I, he has pitched. He has started 16 games in the minors and has not. I mean, is
0: Woodruff a guy that you think they were trying to move? At the deadline, when they're when they're putting packages together, is he a guy that he, they were including in there and just nobody? I bit? think
2: he, I think he would. No, well, I don't think that it's a situation that nobody wanted him. I think that it could have been. I don't know where if if like Luis Ortiz or or Brandon Woodruff is higher on the organizational depth chart. I don't know that. I don't even know, you know, whether or not the Orioles like one more than another. But I would be will, I I comfortably would be willing to say that Brandon Woodruff is somebody the organization would have been willing to trade.
1: But they weren't just going to move him for nothing. They needed to get something in a in a package,
2: correct? Of substance. Yeah, That's uh, why he didn't move. We've so. never we've never seen the organization uh, under David Stearns just move somebody just you know for kicks.
1: No. Sounds true.
2: Okay, uh, Joe
0: Rasmus, uh, Joe Rasmussen asks, uh, "It's probably too small a sample to really judge, but with some results in the books, what do you think of the Moose Scope deals?" My feeling is that they're fine independently, but didn't fit well together. I know it, it seemed a bit odd once they made the scope deal after they had uh, acquired Mustakis. what, a few days ahead of time? Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, at this point, RC is getting most of the starts at shortstop. Shaw's playing at second. You know, uh, what do you think of it, JP? I'm, did it seem like they went a little too far with scope?
2: No, I think it... I still feel pretty much the exact same as I did at the at the deadline. Um, I think this is something that they were looking at 2019 in addition to 2018. I think Scope is somebody that's shown that he can have impact offensive potential, um, and obviously it hasn't happened thus far. And when you're trying to win games in a postseason run, by the time you get to mid to late August, especially, you know, with how many people uh, are in the postseason hunt at this point, like there are four, three or four teams outside of like the Cardinals and the Brewers that have legitimate uh, postseason aspirations we're talking about Arizona, talking about uh, Atlanta, talking about um, Colorado, LFA, Philadelphia, talking about Colorado, talking about Philadelphia. Right. So there's a lot of guys. You don't necessarily have the time to say, we're going to just continue to put you out there. I, that's still probably what I, I would have chosen to do, right? I mean, this is something that I've said in the past. I would have just penciled him in and said, you know what? You're going to work your way through it. Um, but I understand the philosophy behind the fact that Arcia is hitting the ball well right now uh, in terms of, you know, like I said, he's hitting 274 since getting called back up and he offers plus uh, a plus glove. So you can ride that um, and scope just kind of is the the odd man out especially against uh, right-handed pitchers at the moment but I still for me I don't have problems with it I have a problem with it if we're just saying that this was for 2018 and we didn't have any thought whatsoever towards 2019 right then I can understand the the idea that maybe it just didn't make a lot of sense but I think of I think if you look ahead of 2019 stockpiling talent the best way you can Soria Mustakis scope depending on what they do with the the team and mutual options those are all guys that could still be around 2019
1: i think the best way to look at it the two moves in combination is that it was hedging bets okay they were making a bet when they acquired mike moustakis that travis Shaw was going to be able to move over to second base and was going to be able to handle that they thought that was possible they thought it was something he could do but they weren't 100 percent sure okay So a few days later, they go out and get Jonathan Scope. And what they've done there is they've given themselves insurance. Remember, Travis Shaw had dealt with some injuries that had really sapped his power. So his power was down through the middle part of the season this year. And it came back pretty much right after that. But they didn't necessarily know that. They didn't know how Shaw was going to take to second base. They didn't have the final results on what that was going to look like.
2: Well, and to the point that they were actually working out Moustakas at second base, too.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. They didn't know how that was going to go. They also don't know who exactly is going to get hot. And I think that this is a thing that they're willing to do with this team. They're willing to say, we're going to play the hot hand. And by getting these extra guys, they were giving themselves people who are capable of carrying a team offensively for a a significant portion of time. Jonathan Scope is that guy. The three weeks leading up to the trade, Dude hit nine home runs in 20 games, right? That is carrying an offense good. Now, is he likely to do that for the Brewers, like that
2: level of hot streak? Probably not, but he was also a five-win player last year. I I will say, if we are keeping this in context of the NL race, Joe Madden today, uh, Saturday, whatever day it is, uh, said when he was criticized for not playing David Boat uh David Boat? I think so. I thought it was
1: Bodie, but
2: well, whatever. Um I haven't watched one of their games to hear somebody pronounce it. I I've I've can't watch so I can't
0: listen to anything
2: that's going on with those games, so. But <laughs> he said if you are a manager who is going to be playing the hot hand, he thinks that you completely misunderstand the game and he wants to play you every single day of the week.
1: Okay, well the issue with that is that, first off, it's Joe Madden, and he is literally playing the hot hand because he has like no he players was be- for he- eight spots.
2: No, he was literally responding to the fact that Boat or Bodie was basically hitting the ball really well every single time he went in, had the game-winning hit, and sat the next day.
1: Oh 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 yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. Council is not strictly playing hot hands here. If he did, Orlando Arcia got. He was. He's not strictly doing that. Orlando Arcia is not in the lineup today after a good game. People have complained about this that he doesn't. He doesn't strictly stick with. Well, if you had a good game the day before, he leaves you in there. He's rotating through. He's playing matchups. Thames has been cold lately.
2: He's been. So what, he's in then, the lineup again. And so it's. I I don't mean to be like overly like dense here. But um, sometimes I can't help it. Uh, What does it mean to play the hot hand then?
1: So you're shading playing time towards guys who are doing better. You are are pushing and you're giving yourselves those options. Like you are giving yourselves – like with with getting scope, you're also giving yourselves injury insurance, right? Yeah, but
0: okay, playing the hot hand, does that mean like you're playing guys – they're being penciled into the lineup in situations where – you know, in a platoon situation, they normally wouldn't be in
2: because otherwise,
0: you know, council, if he's just putting guys in basically where they have an opportunity to perform best because he's playing, you know, uh, platoon splits. I mean, that's not really playing the hot hand, but you're trying to get the most out of the players you're, you're putting in the lineup on a given day.
1: Right. I think it's more, I, yeah, it's less playing a hot handed, more playing matchups.
0: Well, but those are two different things then. Right,
1: it's that's probably a better way to say it. Is it's more playing matchups and adding scope gives you that right-handed power in the infield that they didn't have in their middle infield because it was you had Mustaka's left-handed power, Shaw left-handed power.
0: As long as Scope gets it together when they play the Cubs, (laughs) because he's the right-handed power bat against a left-handed heavy rotation.
2: If he's able, if he's able to do that, nobody will care whatsoever what he did. Two months. Nope. Just get it together for that. That's sure. all he really has to do. Sure. And maybe the and maybe the Cardinals now.
0: Sure. But I'm just saying, like he matches up with the Cubs.
2: Oh, I see what you're saying with
0: all their left hand. Yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah, that that's I kind agree. of where, where scope can come in to uh, hopefully put it together. So, anyways, and, uh, and
2: your boy Aaron Emperez.
0: Yes,
1: who's in the lineup on Saturday?
2: Yes. Yeah, extra struck stop. out. Mm. Crazy. Oh, so. No, I mean he did. I just saw it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw it too.
0: <laughs> okay. So, anyways, that's gonna do it for this week's show. Uh, just a reminder, if you go to the Carbon Four uh web store, Carbon4.com, uh put in MKE Tailgate into the promo code, you will receive twenty percent off. And I'm just gonna remind everybody like we're doing our fantasy football draft there. We are. Tomorrow. Mañana. Yeah, we're doing it. Uh, or yesterday, if you're listening to this on Monday. So just a reminder, before the season starts, you can probably still get your fantasy football draft on there. And uh, they got some good deals going on if you do that. There's a pitcher race mm-hmm. that goes on throughout the season. So if you like to drink beer, that's a thing to do, especially during the football season. So Good beer. Yes. Uh, just a reminder that you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com MKE Tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can submit questions to Milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com. Is that right? Milwaukee's.tailgate. Yeah, I had to look gmail. it up today, com.
1: too. Yeah.
0: Um, or you can do it through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher we're in the google play store and most of your other uh, podcast apps will show up there so uh, you can leave reviews and help people find the podcast so thanks for listening and look for us again next week on milwaukee's tailgate
2: to be like early 2000s maybe late 90s uh monday night football john madden and um so it would have been the rams against the buccaneers right because it was marshall falk and warren Sapp. okay and john madden got out the telestrator and uh And proceeded to show how, and it was true, like Warren Sapp's belt was too small and he could not buckle it up. But he still had one, but couldn't buckle it up. And Marshall Falk's was massive. And it was like to the point where it was probably a good solid foot and a half, like just dangling there. Uh, And he like got out the telestrator to be like, he circled it. And he was like, this is where Warren Sapp's belt isn't quite long enough. Look, if you take a look over here at Marshall Falk, he's got extra belt. If they switch belts, they could bolt optimize their belt usage.
1: Until <laughs> you're recording
2: of, this, <laughs> and it was like my favorite thing from John Madden to be able to go back. Um, I don't know; it was probably on YouTube or something. But it was like the it was the best to be able to see him use the telestrator to be able to show how like we could get opt- optimal belt usage from uh, from Marshall folk and Warren Sapp. I thought you were gonna tell the bench.